Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeinfocustv.com. You know, um, our series now for some weeks has been transformed living from the inside out, transformed, the metamorphosis changing that should begin on the inside. And we talked about a transformed heart. That's where it starts. Then we looked at the importance of transformed thinking, a transformed mind. And then we looked at the importance of transformed words, learning to use the words, the language we should use as faith people, as believers. And we looked at the importance of understanding when to fit in, to conform, to adapt to situations, and when you take a stand, you dare to be different as a follower of Christ. Today, I want us to take just a few moments to look at the power of thankfulness as we look at um, transform, the power of a thankful heart. In our culture, many people grow up hearing the word thanksgiving, and to them, it simply means a day. It's a holiday, a day that's set aside, it's Thanksgiving Day. For others, it's just a matter of etiquette. You know, when you're raising your kids and someone gives them a gift, your children, they they receive a gift, you're there with them as parents, you hope that these little darlings will just always be polite and do the right thing, but sometimes you have to remind them and ask them, now what do you say? And we expect them to say in a very sweet voice, thank you. So it's just a matter of etiquette that we know, we know that it's right, it's good to give thanks, to be thankful. We just know it's a good thing to do. Now, unfortunately, much of society today, uh, really what we are experiencing is a culture of ingratitude. So many that have an entitlement mentality, doesn't matter what they get, they're just not satisfied. You owe it to me. Not any, not any thankfulness at all. We see it oftentimes in the, in the younger age and, and uh, the youth that comes through that they've been given, children, youth, they've been given so much all through the years that, that, that they, they are not really thankful for anything, always expecting more. And it's not just for the young people. It also is applied to us adults sometimes. We always... Say, ah, yeah, this is good, but I, I, I just believe that this is, I really want more. I want more. Well, there is a problem today of taking God for granted and taking his goodness for granted. So we want to address that today and looking, look how we can be transformed if we develop uh, thankful hearts. This is extremely important. The Bible has a lot to say about the importance of thanksgiving. The psalmist says over and over and over again, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. I'm going to go to a very familiar New Testament account or story that you find in Luke chapter 17. This sometimes we cover around this time of year, but I felt it was good to visit it again and talking about a transformed heart the power of giving thanks, Luke chapter 17, picking up with verse 11. I'm in the New Living Translation, uh, verses 11 through 19. And this is, this is you'll, get, you'll be familiar with this account, most of you, when we begin reading it. 
As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. Now this was a racially mixed area of Samaritans and, and Jews, the Jewish people. And there was a, a great deal of animosity, in fact, hatred. They despised one another. And it was along this border that Jesus was traveling into town. And verse 12 says, as he entered a village, as he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, leprosy, a terrible disease, gnawed at the nervous system, caused disfigurement, loss of fingers. They were covered with sores and scabs, their skin hard and cracked, their eyes bloodshot, decaying cartilage, sunken noses, black tongues, swollen, horrible, horrible disease. It was called the disease of death because uh, to people of that day, it was essentially considered incurable. And most people associate it then with leprosy. If a person was uh, contracted leprosy, then there, it was a sign of uncleanness, sinfulness. Now, leprosy uh, today sometimes referred to as Hansen's disease uh, usually takes four to eight years to develop. Now, there's a couple of exceptions in the Bible. Miriam, the uh, sister of Moses, because she uh, challenged the leadership of Moses and spoke up against his leadership, uh, she was punished with seven days of leprosy, and then she was healed. Seven days experienced this horrible thing. Then there was Naaman, the uh, general of the army in, there in Damascus, who came to Elijah, and Elijah said, here's what you do. If you want to be cleansed from leprosy, go into the River Jordan, dip seven times, you'll be cleansed. He resented that at first, but eventually, what he had to lose, he went and he did that, and, and he was made well. Two extraordinary circumstances of this healing or cleansing of leprosy. Now, understand in those days, uh, a diagnosis was very difficult. There were perhaps several skin diseases that people thought, they thought they had leprosy, when in fact it was not an incurable disease, it was something temporary, they contracted something, and yet all of a sudden they were concerned, and people were concerned, what's wrong with you? And many felt that, uh, that they may have leprosy. Uh, a leper was despised, alienated, social outcast, isolated from society. But sometimes, but when they were isolated, they would begin to gather in groups. They were called leper colonies. Sometimes they would live in caves or garbage dumps or many times stay just outside the gate, isolated outside the town, away from people so that they could have, get handouts and people would assist them with food. Uh, Jews and Samaritans were enemies, but it's interesting in this account that there were Jewish men and at least one Samaritan that, was, that they were together. You know, misery loves company. And, and, and you know, when something happens like this, you kind of overlook some of those differences and say, we've got one common problem that's brought us together. You'll notice it says that when, when the lepers noticed that Jesus was coming, it says they stood at a distance. This was required of them, at least 100 feet, distancing themselves from any of the public. They were required that when they saw someone else, a leper was to begin to cry out as loud as they could. Sometimes the leprosy affected their voice. They cry out as loud as they could, unclean, unclean. And they were to do it this way, hand over the upper lip, unclean, unclean. And, and to keep your distance, 
because being any closer to a person with leprosy than that would defile a person. It was looked upon very seriously. In some instances, in fact, they, they did this very weird thing where some of the, uh, some of the lepers wore bells so that as they moved, people would be aware. They'd actually hear them coming. When they approached Jesus, they called him. You'll notice they said, Master, have mercy on us. Now, I don't know exactly what they expected. They'd, they'd probably heard about Jesus. They'd probably heard of some of the wonderful things he'd done. Word had gotten to them. Maybe the word about the fact that he had previously healed a, a, a person with leprosy. But he was their hope. So desperately they cried out to him and they don't say cleanse us or heal us. They say have mercy on us. I don't know exactly what they were expecting but I believe deep down their heart they, they just more than anything else to have that supernatural miracle in their lives. Well when they cry out, notice they refer to Jesus as master which is the term normally used to say rabbi or teacher. So you have to understand, Jesus, what did he do? He was still a distance from them. And he said, go show yourself to the priest. Now for us, in our culture, in our society, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you've read the Old Testament, unless you understand some of the practices in the book of Exodus and Leviticus. And it was taught in the Jewish religion that day that if someone had leprosy or there was, they thought, that they had leprosy, they were to go to the priest and the priest would examine them and the priest would, if he saw it, believed that it was leprosy, he would pronounce them unclean and they were taken outside the city. They were isolated from their family, from everyone around them. Now, all the priest could do was examine them and declare them unclean. They couldn't heal them. But it's interesting here that when they cry out for help, Jesus, now Jesus sometimes, he, you know, I'm so thankful that when Jesus healed people, different methods were used. He lay hands on them, reach down, lift them up, speak to them, all kinds of different methods of healing. The healing of leprosy of another person that's recorded in the book of Matthew, Jesus touched them, they're healed. Jesus is from a distance. You know, God can heal from a distance. Do you know that there's no limitation to God? You understand that here, if we thought he healed one particular way, we, we would worship the method more than we do him. We'd pay more attention and say, well, if you do this, you'll be healed. You always have to do this or you'll be healed. But the point is, you just do what he says and you'll be healed. So from a distance, he said, go show yourself to the priest. Do you know what that actually was saying to them, if they really believed it? It was saying to them, you're cleansed. And the reason I believe that that's true is because every one of them had been to the priest. Every one of them had been pronounced unclean. So when Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, it meant one thing. If they were to go them, show themselves to the priest, They'd already been pronounced unclean, so by going again, Jesus was saying, go to be pronounced and declared clean. You're well. And then the, the beautiful words uh, uh, that, that it says, as they went, as they went on their way, they was cleansed. When he said that to them, there was no, I don't, there was no immediate change. 
But they took that step of faith and they obeyed him. Look, when you're praying, when you're looking to God for something, you don't have to have an immediate change. You don't have to see an immediate answer. But what you do is respond to his truth, obey what he says, and as you go, God will begin to bring those to pass. Now, there are amazing uh, situations where you just see things happen immediately. But in most situations, there is a step of faith before you see the results. So they turned and they walked away. And as they walked, and according to the tenor of the scripture here, they probably walked a little distance before they began to realize or healed. And the tense of the Greek verb there actually, it's not like they were walking along and suddenly one of them was healed. And you have to understand, folks, supernatural fingers where there had been no fingers. Nose, where there had been nose. Their skin becomes clean. I imagine when that happened. But the, the tenor, the, the, the uh, phrase that's used in there, as they went, they were healed, gives us the picture that as they walked along, suddenly they were all healed. It's just like you've got 10 guys walking along. They're headed toward the priest. They have leprosy and then boom. Every one of them miraculously made well. They were on their way to the priest. You understand that when you go to the priest and he declares you clean, an offering was made. And this is so beautiful. And you see these types of things throughout the scripture. And what the priest would do if he pronounced you clean, what he would do is take two birds. And the first bird he would kill. And the bird was taken then and it was, it was killed in an earthen vessel. Placed in an earthen vessel. His blood was poured into the earthen vessel after the bird was killed. And then the blood was sprinkled on the person that was being pronounced clean. Now the one that was killed in the earthen vessel, the earthen vessel represents the flesh. The fact that Jesus came into the world as man. He came in our place. Jesus came to give his life. The death of the bird represents the fact that Jesus died in our place. The blood that was shed and then sprinkled on the man stood the fact that we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. All this took place to where that there was a scarlet the scarlet yarn, cedar wood, the blood, all these things. It was, it was a ceremony that they went through that represented the ministry of Christ. Because you see, leprosy, when we look at leprosy, there's a spiritual connotation or side of it. That sinfulness, that being apart from God, separated from God, that that is a spiritual leprosy. And when you look at the horribleness of physical leprosy, then Sin is horrible, and it affects us in horrible ways. Maybe we can't see it too much from the, on the outside, but sin will kill. Sin will cause suffering. Sin will isolate you. So just as the problem of physical leprosy can be healed through the shedding of blood, through a life that's given, the problem of spiritual leprosy can be healed through the shedding of the blood, Jesus Christ who came to give his life for us. And then the second bird was not killed, but was released 
which represents the resurrection of Christ. So the offering was made to declare that they were clean. What an amazing experience that they were, that they were going to experience when they got to the priest. But as they went, incredibly, to most people, this incurable disease was cured. They were well. Then in verse 15, one of them, how many were there? Ten. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise master, praise rabbi. What do you see is the difference? No, he doesn't say that. He comes back to Jesus shouting, praise God. When they first approached him, they said, master. When he comes back to him, there is a revelation that's going on here. And he comes back praising God and glorifying him and honoring him with a loud voice. So I believe he was healed. Loud voice shouting his gratitude and glorifying God. And he fell on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. Then it simply says here, this man was a Samaritan. It points it out. You would think that the Jewish people would be the first to be thankful, the first to recognize the power of God, the first to acknowledge that this was something supernatural that had been done to them. Now, I think all ten men had faith because they turned and went toward the priest. They did. But there's something about the one person that recognized this is not Old Testament, this is New Testament. This is not about going to a human being to be declared clean. This is about coming to God himself who can truly declare me clean and healed. He recognized the source of his healing and he came back and worshiped him, fell before the Lord and gave him thanks. Verse 17, Jesus said, did not heal, heal 10? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory, to give thanks and praise to God except this foreigner? Samaritan. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now, there's a difference. There's a difference here. When he says your faith has healed you, it's the word sozo, which is talking about wholeness and completeness. In other words, he was saying, your personal trust in me and your confidence in God's power has restored you, has made you whole. You see, here's one thing we need to know. That the other nine were healed and cleansed, but one was not only cleansed, he was made whole. He was made whole. You know, there's all sorts of people that, that are all right to accept good things from God to accept following God up to a certain place. They'll take what God will give them, but they'll not give themselves to him. And the difference is these nine took what God gave them, what the Lord gave them, but one came back to give himself. And in that, he was made whole. Someone once said, that gratitude is what you feel. Thanksgiving is what you do. And thanksgiving is extremely important to God. Now, take just a moment and think about that. We can say, yes, be thankful. We should, I should be more thankful. I need to have a, a grateful heart. It's so important. I, I think sometimes we overlook the fact that, that giving thanks was serious business to the Lord. 
serious business. There's a problem. You see, accepting the gift and neglecting the giver is robbery. Accepting the gift and neglecting the giver is robbery. Why don't you go to a couple of verses with me here. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, New Living Translation, there's Paul speaking here. Uh, he says, yes, speaking of people who had, who had uh, chosen not to follow God. He says, yes, these people, they knew God. That's they had general revelation that there was a God, there was a creator. But they would not worship or glorify him as God or even give him thanks. And the result of that, when they would not acknowledge God as being the true God, when they would not be thankful to him, the result was that their minds became dark and confused. They were given over to whatever shameful things their hearts desired, the scripture says. They did vile and degrading things. So God abandoned them to their own thoughts and ways. How sad it is that those who will deny God and those who will not have an attitude of, of worship and thanksgiving and praise, they are given over to to whatever they choose. They're given over to what they will believe, what they do believe. It's not what God really wants, but people have a choice. So there was all kinds of immorality there that's associated with ingratitude. Then when you pick up in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's speaking this to believers, to the church. He says, imitate God in everything you do. That's pretty big, isn't it? Imitate God in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. He goes on and says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Now, these were the kinds of things that were practiced by these people who did not acknowledge God and these people who were unthankful. They were practicing all kinds of immorality and lewd acts but he says, he says here, obscene stories, obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, all of these things, greed, impurity, immorality, all these things have no place among the people of God. Instead, verse 4, instead let there be thankfulness to God. You see, immorality seems to be tied to a lack of a thankful heart. You know, it's hard to commit immoral acts if you are presently giving thanks to God and to who He is and who you are. When you stop giving thanks, where does your focus go? It goes to what you don't have. You begin to think about what will, what you think will satisfy you. I want to point out some things quickly that I believe is important when we look at a thankful heart. First of all, understand that true thankfulness, a thankful heart, flows from a real encounter with God. This leper had a real encounter with the Lord. And his response to bow in giving thanks. Thankfulness flows from an encounter with the Lord. How in the world, just, just, you know, just think about it. When we examine and when we experience the greatness of God and the greatness of his love for us, when we see the blessings of God in our lives, how can we not be thankful? It's just a simple question. If you really, if you really, really know who God is and what he's like and what he's done for you, 
How could you not be faithful? So I, I believe that when a person gets drawn into ingratitude and is unthankful, it tells a lot about their relationship and their walk with the Lord. Thankfulness flows from an encounter with God. 1 Chronicles 29, 11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and majesty. Everything in the heavens and the earth is yours. Amen, amen. Number two, thankfulness will ignite joy in your life. Thankfulness will ignite joy in your life. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. No matter what circumstances are in your life, not always easy. Life is not always fair. But rejoice and give thanks. It will ignite the joy in your life. Give thanks in everything. Not for everything, remember. A lot of things happen in your life that's not from God. Or some things can happen in your life that's not from God. We don't thank God for that. We thank God he'll deliver us from it. We thank God that he'll help us through it. But every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, no turning, no shadow turning. He's constant. God is always good. He's just good. So understand that, that when we recognize that, something happens on the inside of us and we begin, as we're thankful for his goodness, for his for his blessing in our life, then joy begins to rise up in us. And the scripture says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. You say, well, it's just too hard sometimes. It's just everything going on. It's hard for me to be thankful. You understand when Paul said rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, you understand that he was in prison when he wrote that. So he was practicing what he preached. Number three, thankfulness will strengthen relationships. Would you rather be around a grateful person or an ungrateful person? Had people rather be around you? Do people like being around you? There's something about, there's something about in our lives if we just develop an attitude of being grateful and thankful and positive about the blessings of God in our lives. There's something about that that's contagious. But to understand the negative side, the, the dark side of that, of being ungrateful is also true. It's contagious. And it affects people. It affects things around us. So understand, in Philippians 4, 5, it says, Paul says, let your reasonableness, that's an interesting word, let your reasonableness be known to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Let me give it in the, in the New Living Translation. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. You see, attitudes affect relationships. Attitudes affect relationships. Grateful people are loving people. They seek to bless others. Ungrateful people are bent on gratifying themselves. It's all about me. It's all about my feelings. All my, look, I don't have a percentage, but I think a great number of marital problems could be resolved if we could just resolve the problem of saying, I'm grateful for what God has done in my life. I'm grateful for you. If we'll look at the positive things and the blessings in that person's life rather than pointing out their faults. One in, in, in marital counseling over the years, one of the real uh, hindrances to seeing anything resolved is because when you're talking to husband and wife, each one of them 
concern about his or her own personal problems or personal needs. They're being treated unfairly. No one knows what they're experiencing. It's, it's, you know, it's his fault. It's her fault. There's not that attitude of being grateful and recognizing, admitting, you need help. There's problems. So relationships are greatly affected according to what kind of attitude you have, whether we are thankful or not. It affects us. Uh, then we also have to see, fourthly, that thankfulness will calm fears in your life. It will calm fears. Verse 6, Philippians 4 says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about everything. Anxiety. Uh, that's when you feel like your needs are bigger than anybody else's. Anxiety means you simply are not trusting God in a situation. Anxiety means we believe our problems are bigger than God's provision. It says, don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, in everything, don't, don't be anxious, don't be worried, but pray. Don't be worried about anything, pray about everything. It says, let as you pray, in prayer, supplication, do this with thanksgiving. When you read in the original languages here, when you read this, you'll notice that the emphasis in this verse really is drawn not primarily to prayer, and not primarily to supplication, but primarily to how both are to take place, the last two words, with thanksgiving. The emphasis here in this verse is with thanksgiving. Always when you do this, do it with thanksgiving. So much praying is whining. So, so much praying is complaining. So much prayer today is filled with doubts. But God wants us to come to a place to where we believe his word, we will rest in him, we don't worry about anything, instead we pray giving thanks. Tell God what you need and then thank Him for all that He's done for you. The result of that, verse 7, here's what will happen. Thankfulness comes, fears. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, in the world that we live today, how important it is for us to learn to live our lives with a deep abiding peace on the inside and be able to deal with fear. Let me tell you, one of the things that will help you deal with fear and overcome fear is a thankful heart because you're recognizing the greatness of the problem rather than the greatness of God over your problem you're facing. So very important. Then we find that thankful, a thankful heart, thankfulness will always produce generosity. Always produce generosity. True thankfulness will always produce generosity. Because true thankfulness is recognizing someone has given to you. Right? God, you have given to me. Then if we recognize that he's that kind of God and we're to imitate him, if we recognize that all that we have, these blessings, he's our source, he didn't, put, he didn't give us those things just to reside in us, just to bless us, although he wants to bless us. He gives those things to us and we serve as a channel, an avenue through which those blessings of God can flow as we bless others. How much the church would be blessed when we learn to walk in that, to actually walk in it, to be generous. Be generous in our time. 
Be generous in our time. Be willing to help others. Be willing to pitch in and help. Generous in your time with your family. Generous in being willing to put aside what you really want to do, your, you know, and commit to helping someone else. Generous. Generous in your giving. This is a generous church. This is a generous group of people. And God is, has, has blessed all of us in the process of it. And understand that when the scripture says, give and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, that, that men will heap into your bosoms, if you will, or, or place in your lap, is a picture of saying that if you give, that the blessings of God are going to come back in your life. Maybe not in exactly the same form, but the scripture does say that we will reap as we sow. So when we sow the blessings of God, it starts multiplying back toward us. Just when you sow a seed, you don't just get one plant. You get a plant, but you get much fruit on that plant. It multiplies exponentially. This comes into our giving. And yes, it comes into financial giving. You very rarely hear me talk about financial giving. Um, it's not because I'm opposed to it. I believe in it and I practice it. Uh, we don't pass offering plate not because it's anything necessarily wrong. It's just that we believe in the importance of teaching people, all of us come, becoming aware of this and standing on this in our life, that everything good that we have has come from God. It all belongs to Him. And He's entrusted me with these things. And He's given me guidelines in the Scripture as to how to give. People get all tied up in the tithe and the tenth and whatever. And I do believe that the principles of tithing are true. That the first one-tenth of everything that you receive belongs to Him. Belongs to Him. It all belongs to Him. But this is what you give back. Dedicating it to the Lord, you're giving it as an act of faith to be used for the kingdom to glorify God. Well, I don't see that in the New Testament. Well, actually, it is in the New Testament. Jesus told the Pharisees that you're doing all these religious practices, and one of them, he says, you tithe, you tithe, you tithe. And he goes on and he says, now you should do all these things, including tithing, and, but you need to do these things that are a matter of the heart and that are real. So, yes, it is a principle to follow. For a believer, for a believer, look, when we recognize the goodness and the power of God, how could we ever give less than what the Old Testament requires? My, 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 my. And many of you have learned to give and learned to give in obedience and joy. When we pray and give every Sunday, we just rejoice in it. I mean, it's just, God, thank you that you've blessed us and we can give. We can give. But we don't give any Please here, please give us more money so they won't turn the electricity off. God has provided abundantly here. God's provided abundantly. We have plans for the future that are great plans that we're going to move together as a church and everything that we need will be supplied even financially. So why would you even talk about sowing or giving or being generous financially by helping the poor, by, by helping someone else who's really in need, by sowing into a ministry? Why would you ever do that? Number one, because God says to do it. I just say number one. God tells us to do it, so it's obedience. Also, he promises that if we do that, that it's multiplied back into our lives in many different ways. And the very root of all this, if we truly know him and know his great love and how generous he's been to us, it should make giving a joy. How could I not give? So you see, a thankful heart produces generosity and giving. 
when we recognize how generous God is, how does that compare to how generous we are? It's interesting. Look at it. So all these things are important that we're transformed by all these things in our life. So let me bring it down to close here. That, that this Thanksgiving can be a powerful weapon to help overcome fear and the attack of the enemy if we develop a thankful heart. So how in the world do you do that? Well, as we mentioned before, number one, it starts with encounter. It starts with encounter to know him, to love him. And we love him because he first loved us. We have to have a real encounter with God before we can develop truly a thankful heart that will transform us. Secondly, make a decision. It's a choice to rejoice. We choose to intentionally give thanks. Thanksgiving is an act of faith. We thank God, even if we can't see it yet, we are thankful because we know his provision is real. Thirdly, focus daily on God's goodness. Focus daily on your blessings. This has to be cultivated in our lives by meditating on the word, by acknowledging God as our source, as our source. God wants this to take place in our life where we develop a thankful heart because when we set our eyes and set our heart on what he's done for us, we're changed. We're transformed. And a thankful heart dwells on the goodness of God. A thankful heart bows in worship. A thankful heart experiences joy. A thankful heart walks in peace. A thankful heart lives in confidence. And a thankful heart gives generously. Literally, developing a thankful heart will transform our lives if we'll let it. Right? Right. Amen. Amen. Oh, let's stand. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We just want to say thank you. You are great. You are good. We have been so blessed. And even though there may be someone here this morning, they look and say, I don't know what I have to be grateful for. Look a little deeper. Let God speak to your heart. He's for you. He's not against you. No matter what you're going through right now, no matter what you're going through, you can look to him. You can look to him. His strength, his victory, his blessing is promised to you. Look to him and follow him. Transform our hearts today by your love, Lord, and transform our lives as we learn to practice giving thanks. Develop in us, Lord, that kind of joy Develop in us, Lord, the witness that we give by influencing others and having a grateful heart. Develop in us, Lord, a true sensitivity, a true awareness, a true appreciation of everything that you've blessed us with. And we just want to say thank you. It's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. Amen.